0: super talk mississippi media production specializing in ford nissan chrysler dodge jeep and rams corinthautogroup.com and fordofcorinth.com where cars and happy drivers meet visit us now in person or online with the experience you deserve celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1.
1: Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making this place such a special place to live, work, and play. And today we're coming to you from the STMM Digital Studio. I'm so thrilled to announce that the STMM Digital Studio. Uh, excuse me, Digital, is now the sponsor of the Ricky Matthews show. Uh, this this partnership is really the, uh, a testament to the exceptional services and expertise that Supertalk Mississippi Media brings to the table. This is the digital arm of Supertalk Mississippi Media. Uh, when it comes to uh, different digital advertising solutions, STMM Digital is really a force to be reckoned with. They are a multimedia, multi-platform, full-service company that understands this ever-evolving landscape of digital marketing, and if you're in business, you know you know that very clearly. Um, their expertise is, uh, is about knowledge, it's about experience, it's about consistently delivering on um, outstanding results for their clients. And when you add it all, add the, that SuperTalk has this extensive radio and multimedia f- footprint. That kind of makes this effort, combined with the other things that SuperTalk brings to the table, really next-level kind of stuff. In short, sure, they've really built a multimedia advertising solution company hitting on a bunch of cylinders um, but it's not just the technical prowess that makes the difference it's the fact that they're dedicated to to customer service and they're dealing with really significant cover uh, customers all across the state of Mississippi it they have to understand your business in order to, to meet your to meet your needs they have to understand your target audience they got to know your objectives so they they have a they have a history of working really closely closely with their customers to develop very customized advertising strategies that align with your brand and delivers results. So why should you consider... STMM Digital for your digital advertising solution because they've got the knowledge and the experience and the passion to make a difference for your business in what is really a complicated digital world. Uh, They have a, a long list of comprehensive services they bring. I'm a former digital media CEO. I understand digital advertising and I wholeheartedly recommend their digital team to any business looking to make a significant impact in the digital advertising space. Trust me, you won't be remembered. So when it comes to digital advertising solutions, I think you ought to reach out to STMM Digital. Uh, they're the experts that can help you reach new heights in the digital world. So I'm thrilled to have them as the sponsor of uh, Ricky Matthews, the Ricky Matthews Show, and we'll be coming to you from the STMM Digital Studio. That's that's pretty exciting. Hey, listen on Monday's show My outdoor show on Monday, I I shared some heartbreaking news that my mother, uh, my sisters and my mother uh, died over the weekend. And uh, she she really meant the world to us. Um, it's a profound loss, but we found solace in the reality that, as I posted, the sun still rises. And just as the lyrics from the famous song remind us, the sun will come out tomorrow. Today, as, as we em- embrace the beauty of coastal Mississippi, let's all take a moment to honor our mothers and the memories of our mothers who will forever hold a special place in all of our hearts. I would not have come to understand and appreciate so much about where I am in my life had it not been for the support that I had from my dear mother. One of the, one of the quotes that I ran across that really touched me and it probably will touch you too, but it says this, and I don't know who said it, but it's so true. Mothers hold their children's hands for a while, but they hold our hearts forever. Isn't that true? That is, that is so true. But anyway, I just wanted to share that sad news for you. We have very, very strong faith. I know that mom is in a better place, and uh, on Thursday we'll be celebrating her life. Uh, so anyway, now let's shift gears. I'm thrilled to have my friend Ashley Edwards. Uh, the former CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, now an entrepreneur that's into different different kinds of businesses these days <clears throat> and doing really well. It's great to check in with Ashley from time to time because he's just a well-read friend where we can talk just about anything. So how you doing, my friend?
2: Hey, Ricky, I'm doing good, and I'm very, very sorry about your mother. I know that's a tough loss, and but you're absolutely right. She's in a better place, and uh, we all can look forward to the day
1: and let me uh, let me give my condolences to you, my friend, on the passing of your grandmother. Um, you know there's never it's never easy to to lose uh, loved ones, but faith does help, doesn't it, my friend? Yes, it does. So, look, gosh, man, we got a lot to talk about. I sent you a, a, a list, and what's interesting is I don't really have to send Ashley a list because I sort of know that he's up on current events and reading a lot of what's happening. Uh, I have a lot of concerns, and incidentally. Uh, one is the FEMA 2.0 insurance program, the new flood insurance program that i talked about on the show a lot over the past year. I will share during the show at some point some serious concerns I have about the way they determine whether you need to have coverage. Or not, and it's a it's a extraordinary departure from the way they used to do it. And I'll use my own personal situation as an example of that, and we'll we'll get into that. I want to I want to talk about Elon Musk and the move from uh, from Twitter to now X, and um, and what's happening. So many people want to see him th- uh, fail. Man, they they posted like crazy that Thread had over a hundred million, uh, you know, people who have signed up, and oh my gosh, it was going to be the Twitter killer. And and in less than a week, Threads traffic fell by more than fifty percent. It is trash. It is it is a nice version with words of Instagram. That's all it really is. But it's not Twitter. Twitter is Twitter. <laughs> or Now Twitter is X now. But we'll talk about it during the conversation while we uh, while we get into this. Um, I, I want to you know I don't usually talk about politics, uh, Ashley. And I know that that some, this is something that, that you know you're not you're not thrilled about about talking as about as well. But there's one there's one issue that I want to bring up, and you can say whatever you want to say. But it is the the current race for lieutenant governor between Chris McDaniel and Delbert Hoseman. And, um, you know, I had my concerns about about Chris McDaniel that go back to when he ran against Dad Cochran. And I'll share an editorial that we wrote back when I was actually, after I left the Sun-Herald, I went to Mobile. To, I actually went to work for a company called uh, Advanced Condi Nast, was, was publisher in Mobile, president of Alabama Media Group. And then I moved within that company to be publisher and president of times Union and also president of NOLA Media Group. And um, while I was in when I was in New Orleans is when this race was going on. I moved to New Orleans around 2012. So in 2014, when Chris McDaniel ran against Dan Cochran, uh, he said some things that got our attention here on the coast and uh let me let me just read this part of the editorial to you, and then uh, you can you can respond however you want to because I know you were deep in the Katrina recovery efforts, and you got to see firsthand Thad Cochran's leadership and how important that was to Mississippi but here is uh, here's here's what we wrote, and I inspired this because I just couldn't stand, even though it was a Louisiana company talking about something that was happening in Mississippi. We shared a passion for this subject, and I felt strongly that our editorial board needed to speak on this issue. And here's what, here's what we said. This is February 21st, 2014. People who suffered through Hurricane Katrina and the levee breaches in 2005 have gotten used to far-flung politicians saying inane, inane incidentally means stupid and silly, things about us. That we didn't deserve hell, that we brought the tragedy upon ourselves, the cluelessness from people in public life over the past eight and a half years has been astonishing. But the latest example comes from a candidate for U.S. Senate in Mississippi. You'd think that someone who wants to represent the state, which was slammed by the highest storm surge in American history in Katrina, which would understand the level of devastation, but apparently not. In a political story published Wednesday, State Senator Chris McDaniel hedged on whether he would have actually voted for Katrina aid in the aftermath of the disaster. I would have had to see seen the details. I really would, he told the reporter. That's not an easy vote to cast. Voting for aid for, uh, for your people after the worst natural disaster in American history would be a tough decision? Really? Senator McDaniels' bio says that he is a lifelong Mississippian born in Laurel, which is a little more than 100 miles from the coast. Jones County, where Laurel is located, was hit hard during Katrina. The morning after the political interview, Chris McDaniels' um, campaign spokesman contacted the reporter to clarify that Chris would have been a yes vote on the disaster bill, according to the article. Someone in the campaign must have decided that being against Katrina aid might not be a winning strategy. Senator McDaniel, who is backed by the Tea Party, is promising Mississippi voters that he won't do anything for you. On the other side of the GOP primary incumbent, Thad Cochran was instrumental in getting billions of dollars in aid for the Gulf Coast after Katrina. That is quite a contrast. Um, I never forgot that because you and I were in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. I was a vice chairman of the recovery effort after the storm. I got to watch firsthand what Haley Barber and and Trent Lott and Thad Cochran and our delegation did was extraordinary. But he was Thad was the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, and we were lucky to have him. So we're at the end of the segment. Uh, Tha, uh, um, um, Ashley, when we get back on the other side, I'll get your reaction to that. This is uh, we're having a visit with Ashley Edwards, and we're talking about at this point in the conversation the Chris McDaniel and Delbert Hoseman race. We'll see you after this break.
0: Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of the Ricky Matthews show on your laptop, desktop, or your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His passion and love for coastal Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews show on supertalk 103.1.
1: Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Ashley Edwards with me. And when we went to break, we were just beginning to have a conversation about the Delbert Hoseman and Chris McDaniel campaign. You know, one of the things that I learned early in my career when I became a publisher in Knight Ritter, Knight Ritter owned the Sun Herald. One of the things that Tony Ritter, the CEO of the company, said to me is never find yourself in a position where you have to disown an editorial, that you're the chairman of the editorial board wherever you go and own it, own it, own it, don't ever say anything that you you don't agree with, don't ever push that off to somebody else to take responsibility for. So throughout my tenure at the Sun-Herald and the other newspapers that I had the real pleasure and honor to be a publisher at, I took extraordinary responsibility for the editorial uh, page and especially the editorial views of our newspapers. And that one that I read before I we went to the break was one of those. But um, how could anyone even think twice about Katrina Funding?
2: Well, I think you're right about that, Ricky. I remember very well his statements. I remember the editorial that you read. It was a big topic of discussion here on the coast. And I just remember thinking to myself, I don't know how anybody that had lived through that could possibly have had any consternation about making that vote. I mean, in some ways, for a person who's a Mississippian, uh, the aid that had to come after Katrina, the help that had to pour in here, was the most important thing maybe that's ever happened in the history of the state of Mississippi. You know, you and I live here on the coast. We see the economic recovery that's occurred since Katrina, and let's not forget it's been tough. I mean, we we went from Katrina right into the Great Recession, right into the oil spill, right into the Mississippi River floods, right into the algae outbreak in the Sound. I mean, we have for a tourism market, we have had a very very tough last 15 or so years. Um, But it's been made a lot easier by the fact that we had resources and we had assistance flowing in. You know, I think, Ricky, what it really brings to mind for me is the difference between politics and governing. And oftentimes the two don't mix very well because what has to be said in political campaigns and the political issues of the day and sort of riling up a base. Uh, is much, much different than what it takes to govern and actually have to deliver services to people. Um, And Katrina was very tough work. It was the hardest work of my entire life. I know it was the hardest work of yours and most everybody else on the coast that was heavily involved in the recovery. Um, And to think that a Mississippi politician found that distasteful or says that, you know, look, that making that vote would have been hard. That's very confusing for me. Uh, he obviously later retracted it. I mean, you know, no question people say things sometimes that don't quite come out the right way, uh, but it was a pretty targeted comment. And so it's. I think it's always been difficult for people in coastal Mississippi uh, to really understand where that was coming from.
1: You know, the, the problem, I think, is that uh, when, you, when you watch Chris McDaniel you get a lot of rhetoric And uh, at the time, this notion of tens of billions of dollars of aid coming after a disaster didn't square well with the Tea Party's, you know, dogma at the time. And uh, it just just shows that, you know, your point about governing that— you, you know There is a role for government <laughs> there is, there, I mean even The most avid conservatives know There is a role for government And and uh, you know watching Haley Barber work with Dad Cochran and work with A bipartisan effort in Congress In the aftermath of Katrina and what They did for us and what they did for Louisiana In the aftermath helped us Build more resilient cities And and, and uh, regions And um, we're, you know We're economic engines for the state I mean, I mean for this nation let's face I mean, you think about the role that Chevron plays and Engels plays and Stennis Space Center plays. It's not just regional. It's not just for our state, but it's for our nation. So it, there, there's a role for government. It just didn't square well. And I think what you got was what he really believed until he realized that holy mackerel, the worst natural disaster in American history, hit coastal Mississippi and had we not— uh, gotten those funds, we would be in a world of hurt today. I mean, and on so many levels, I can't even begin to to, to talk about that. But again, you. It's just it's just a lot of talk. It's trying to trying to stick with the talking points. The thing that that compels me about him, again, this is very unemotional. This is just doing sort of you know doing your homework on a candidate. I think about the time that I spend with Jeremy England, and he talks about the work it takes to get a bill through. And you know this from your work with the governor's office. You know this in your work with the MDA. You know what you know what it takes for for a senator or legislature or the governor or the speaker of the house or even the lieutenant governor to move a bill bill across the finish finish line where you've got alignment. You have to you have to reach across the aisle. You have to build coalitions. You have to get you have to you have to lose and make tweaks and lose again and make tweaks again. It takes dogged determination to make a bill work. Where Chris McDaniel has been in the Senate since. 2014, and only three bills that he authored had been passed. Three. One was to congratulate Laurel High School football team. One was to congratulate Aaron Morgan and Mississippi Miss Hospitality. And the last one, in two, that was 2015, 2016, and in 2020, a bill to designate Mississippi Mosquito and West Nile Virus Awareness Week. Man, that's not much of a track record. So, I, I just feel like there's a lot of talk here. the The other thing that b- bugs me, frankly, is the is the muds sw- sw- slinging that usually comes with a McDaniel campaign, and we're seeing it again in this campaign. I think that um, I think that Delbert's done a good job of, of responding to it. You know, someone told me a long time ago, don't react to something, instead respond to it. Be be thoughtful about it, and I think he's done a good job of really kind of sticking to the facts and defending himself when he needs to. But man, the the lies and your... In- windows coming from so many different directions, that's hard to watch in a, in, a, in a battle. I mean, it's always in politics, but it seems to always kind of follow McDaniel more, doesn't it?
2: Well, it's very difficult to watch. I mean, I look, I don't like the dirty campaigns. I don't like the misinformation. I think misinformation is a plague on our society today in lots of different forms. You know, on a nightly basis I see campaign ads with you know, innuendo and and facts that are have been proven to be false. And so, you know, I think Mississippi is better than that. Um, it's to be expected in some ways. I mean, why do people use negative campaign tactics? Because they work. Um, that's why they do that. And so it's uh, certainly not the first time we've seen it in Mississippi. It won't be the last time. But I think it underscores, Ricky, why it's so incredibly important for people to really be informed about who they're voting for. And, you know, it's not just the lieutenant governor's race. It's in all the races. Um, you know, just because someone maybe happens to agree with you or their philosophy is similar to yours doesn't always make um, you know, sort of make certain that they're going to be great in, in government. And you used a word earlier that is so important, and that's alignment. Um, government, governing takes coalitions. It takes compromise. It takes working with people who don't agree with you. And that's the way that our system is set up. It's the way that our founders decided that we would best be able to protect Our long term security and sustainability by having to create things like alignment around issues and solutions. And, you know, government can be cumbersome, it can be slow, it can be bureaucratic. Um, I don't disagree with Chris McDaniel on a lot of issues. I think taxes ought to be lower. Um, You know, I think income taxes ought to be lower. I think the grocery tax ought to be lower. I think government ought to be smaller. And so, on the issues, in many cases, I would look at his platform and say, I agree with that. I think the difficulty is, in what you said, which is a sort of history of statements being made, of campaign tactics, of mistruths, those, those are things that I think are concerning to a lot of us. Um, and, of course, you know, a lot of us have worked very closely with Delbert Hoseman. We've seen him as a very pragmatic and very sober uh, government official who often wants to get to the bottom of an issue, who's very cautious and careful, and so that gives us some trust and confidence. With McDaniel, it's a little bit more of an unknown commodity, and uh, certainly, just as you mentioned, the people that I hear from legislators, colleagues in the Senate, um, their reviews are not are not glowing. And I don't know him personally, but uh, but but certainly, I hear his name come up a lot.
1: I don't either, and I don't know him personally either. All I know is what I what I you know what my homework shows me but this this point about leadership we can't we can't overstate this that in mississippi the governor's role constitutionally is weak all the power in Mississippi is in the legislature. Now, how did how did Haley Barber overcome that, especially in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina? That a governor with strong leadership skills can build his coalitions and bring get people behind him. Haley Barber was a master of that. So he brought strong leadership skills to the table. But arguably, one of the most important positions in this state is lieutenant governor. I mean, that's, there's a tremendous amount of power there. So the ability... To lead others, to inspire others, to reach across the aisle when you need to. Chris Daniels said he's never going to reach across the aisle. He's a divider. He does. He has no interest in, 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 developing coalitions. He said that. That's part of part of his statement. But the, but, but, but the bigger issue to me is in 10 years in the Senate. Three bills that he's authored have been passed, he blames others for why that's not happened. You can't do that. The effective leaders find a way. They 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 find a way and you have to have leadership. You have to be willing to work hard in the trenches. And he has a reputation for not working hard. And that's just kind of where we are. But, the, you know, we could go on and on. I could talk about a story that just came out about whether he actually lives, whether he says he's going to live. A reporter actually pulled the uh, the water bills and found that the meter didn't move for months, for years on end. So. <laughs> I Think he's got a problem there, he's got to answer to before it's all said and done. But anyway, uh, lots of fodder there. That's enough for now. When we come back on the other side, I want to talk about Twitter and uh, the insurance situation in coastal Mississippi. We'll see you after this.
0: Subscribe for free to the Ricky Matthews Show podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reminding you why we all love living in coastal Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1.
1: Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend, Ashley Edward. He's an entrepreneur, but he is um, he is the former CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council, somebody I admire. He's very well-read, smart as hell, and I just enjoy spending time with him. Listen, uh, let's talk about the insurance situation on the coast. I've, I'm going to have more uh, conversations coming up with people like Frank Bordeaux. Um, we're in a real tenuous situation in the coast of Mississippi right now, with certain insurance carriers pulling out and people getting their bills and their bills skyrocketing. Um, the reality of the flood insurance change that's been uh, been sort of like going into action over the say the last couple of years. People beginning to understand what those bills look like. My bill before my personal. Uh, uh, flood insurance bill. By the way, I'm at a level, I'm 5.1 feet above the ABFE, so I don't even need flood insurance the way it used to be. But uh, I was paying... Uh, six or seven hundred dollars a year. I, I should actually know that number, but I, I will know that number in the future for future statements about it. But the new the new target is over four thousand dollars, and it can go up. I think eighteen percent a year until we get to that number. So the the accumulating effect of this uh, this frog boiling in water is going to be tremendous to coastal Mississippi. But when I started to look, I said, Well, how can that be? How can it be that it's going to be so high when I'm five point one feet above the ABFE? I mean, I built this huge chain wall and brought 150 loads of dirt in there so we did not have to we, we built the house on one level um, what they did is they took the lowest portion of the property that we own and they subtracted that from the highest uh, portion which is where our first floor is and the the two, the difference between the two which is 10.9 feet that's how they determine how the how we were in the flood zone or not what are you serious? That's, that's like crazy math
2: it is and look it, I mean this is this is really a tipping point for us I, I you have been one of the few that have has been consistently sort of shedding light on this topic Um you know, the bad news is it's it's this is really really a difficult thing for coastal Mississippi. If there is good news, it's that we're not in the boat alone. I mean, Florida's going through it, coastal Alabama's going through it, Louisiana's going through it, and so, you know, you've you, you've at least got a number of people who feel like they've been sort of victimized by these by these same rules. But look, here's the bottom line, Ricky. Coastal development is gonna to continue to happen in the United States. The majority of the population lives near a coastline. That's only going to continue as we go on into the future. And you know, we know issues about things like sea level rise, climate change, we're seeing the effects of that, uh, stronger storms. You and I have got a lot of experience dealing with, uh, not just with Hurricane Katrina, but hurricanes that have hit a number of different places across the northern Gulf Coast. Um, and, you know, these communities are really going to be in trouble if we can't find a more sustainable path to provide reliable and sustainable insurance coverage for these vulnerable populations. Um, look, bottom line is, it you know, it's a money-losing situation. In many cases, the claims for these events are going to outweigh the money that's being paid in. So I understand the need to be actuarially sound. In that market, the problem is you can't do that on the backs of the working men and women who make these coastal economies go, and that's exactly what we're seeing happening. And for people that this hasn't been on their radar yet, as renewals come in, as uh, as rates change, this is going to be a topic of increased conversation. Um, and I think as the years in the years to come, we're going to have to find another solution for these insurance problems. Uh, You remember how difficult it was after Katrina to try to shore up the wind pool market and to try to shore up the insurance market to keep people in the market because we were afraid at that time all these insurance companies may bail out. What are we going to do then? The interesting thing is that that is happening right now across coastal America, especially along the Gulf Coast, and it's happening not necessarily directly in response to a big disaster event. Um, and so uh, very, very concerning, and you're right to be worried about it. I'm worried about it, too. Well, what Frank Bordeaux,
1: insurance executive here on the coast, uh, just an incredible leader in the insurance community, also happens to be the chairman of the Republican Party, has been a really good friend, and he's helped me. He's been on the show, but then offline, he's also just helped me understand some of these dynamics, and it's and it's very it's very complicated um, as it relates to insurance. You know, the 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 excuse me, wind insurance and home insurance, etc. Cetera, et cetera, the uh, reinsurance markets often decide what our rates are going to be. And so they look at, you know, reinsurance could be Lords of London, Bermuda Syndicate. It could be those, you know, the reinsurance markets that are re- that are uh, insuring potentially catastrophic events all around the world. And depending on how that's going is going to determine what the rates are going to be for insurance company. This is insurance for insurance companies. So he says it's going to take a couple years for that to start to settle down. But when you have the uncertainty in that realm as it relates to our wind coverage, or just homeowner coverage in general. And then you have, simultaneous to that, FEMA with their actuarially sound approach, trying to get actuarially sound. That makes no sense. I mean, the backstop needs to be the federal government, but right. you have this actuarially sound approach to, to sort of the financial running of the flood insurance program through what is called the FEMA Flood Insurance 2.0 program. Um, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot, and most people are not aware of just how this. I keep saying a, a a a frog boiling in water because you you look at your increase and you say, well, I can live with that. But then next year it's going to compound, and then next year it's going to compound again and again and again and again. And before we know it, we're going to be in trouble. If you were grandfathered in, in other words, you had less than 50% damage and were allowed to le- rebuild without without raising your home, all the grandfather clauses are gone now. So you're going to be you're going to be based on an actuarially sound Rate now, and here's the other factor. Now, this Frank helped me really see this. People may make this big, big mistake, and that is a lot of private insurers are now getting into the getting into the flood insurance, and that's good. Okay, but if you have the federal program, and you don't like where it's headed, and you move to a private program, and you and you like the rate, but then suddenly that company, for whatever reasons, decides to pull out. And now you want to go back to the federal front and the flood insurance program? Guess what? You go back in at the actuarially sound rate. So for me, it would go from 1000 something if I left and got a better rate and then that insurance company left and that came back to the federal program, I'd be charged over $4,000 for insurance. You know, there wouldn't be a stair-stepping anymore. It would be the actual rate. So for new homeowners that are coming into this market, they're getting sticker shock, my friend. It's very significant, and it is going to have a major... Impact. Your point about Florida and Texas and Alabama and all the way up the East Coast, you know, Marco Rubio's been screaming, you've got all these senators, but, you know, there's so much noise in, in Washington right now, buddy. They're, they're so busy talking about the divided political world we're in, they're not solving any of these problems. It's, it's, that right. part is hard to watch, but there is a coalition focused on it now. I hope they can get focused on it more, but uh, enough people aren't talking about it, that's for sure.
2: Well, it's gonna it's gonna have a huge impact, Ricky. And you know, people may hear this and say, "Well, you know, serves serves all these folks right that have these big nice houses on the water." But we're not really talking about that. In a lot of these states, your most vulnerable, your most low income population live in these low lying areas and these floodplains, And so, you know, and what scares me, Ricky, is I'm starting to see this trend where certain homeowners, certain businesses, especially those that are waterfront, they're saying, "Look." We can't make this cash flow, so we're just going to start self-insuring and hope for the best. And when that next big disaster happens, and it's not a question of if, it is a question of when, that's going to make it an even tougher disaster to overcome because you have people that, for all intents and purposes, are having to self-insure now. Uh, that that is a road to nowhere, I can guarantee you. Uh, that's going to be very, very tough to overcome if, in fact, we see that trend continue.
1: I hope um, uh, Michael Heck, who runs GNO, Inc., the economic development and sort of chamber in um, in New Orleans, is a good regional leader, and he's got a broad multi-state coalition that he's put together around this. In fact, uh, Frank and I talked about asking Michael to join Frank and me on this show to uh, talk more about it and see sort of what's going on there, but it's uh, something we better pay attention to. We're Frank's really concerned about it. He, he's concerned about what's happening with the flood insurance. Uh, he's actually going to reach out to NFIP, uh, the, the National Flood Insurance Program, on my behalf and see sort of what the pro. You kind of use mine as a test case to say, okay, what's the process for? If you've got um, if you've got a a problem, is there is there any potential resolution? What does that look like? <clears throat> so hopefully hopefully we can get somewhere with that. But I, and I'll talk about I'll talk about what the process was and what we did about it. And then when you add to that, the the real challenge is reinsurance and the the rates that are coming down and the fact that some carriers are pulling out are sort of if they're not pulling out they're pulling back. So <clears throat> it's a uh, something we better be focused on, man. I mean high interest rates and high insurance costs, and uh, it's a it's a big challenge. Anything else on that before I shift gears?
2: You know, it just every time we talk about this, it just always occurs to me there are so many forces sort of working against the economic growth that we have, whether it's high interest rates trying to cool down the economy whether it's the insurance issues that we're talking about now. And our, our economy has been very resilient in spite of all of that. But the problem is, I don't think we can really hope that that's going to continue over the long term. And so these are issues that are going to have to be dealt with and fixed on the front end, or it's going it's to mean a real slowdown for these coastal economies.
1: Meanwhile, I don't know many politicians, if any politician, who's actually talking about it. Man, we're not really talking about the issues that matter. Anyway, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with my friend Ashley Edwards. We'll see you after this break.
0: So, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Gulf Coast 103.1.
1: Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews show. I have my friend Ashley Edwards with me and we're just talking about a wide variety of, of subjects. Ashley, I've, you know, I I don't know you do this as well, but I read as much as I can get my hands on and watch as many of the European videos about news videos about Ukraine as I possibly can. I have friends inside Ukraine that I have on my show from r- r- pretty regularly, but for anyone who's against aid of Ukraine You know that's a political talking point. At the end of the day, we have to support Ukraine. Putin has to lose. And the beauty of where we are in this situation that we're in today is that the uh, the world's starting to get tired, aren't they?
2: They are starting to get tired. And I look, it scares me when I hear some of the rhetoric coming out of our elected officials about not supporting Ukraine. In fact, our congressman made a, a comment to that effect not long ago. Um, I, in my estimation, Ricky, the bottom line is we're going to pay to fight Russia whether we do it through a proxy war with Ukraine or whether we end up finding ourselves down the road in an armed conflict with our own soldiers, our own capital, our own blood being spilled. In my estimation, this is the far, far less expensive and less trying way ultimately to try to affect change. and. Um, And it seems to be working. I mean, we're really seeing the weaknesses, the cracks starting to show uh, in Russia. This is such an important issue in the world today. Um, And, you know, it it just I think is such a sign of the times because there's so much discussion now about all the potential elected officials that are either running for president or, or running for senator for Congress uh, federally that say, you know, we ought to cut off this aid to Ukraine, no more money going there. And I just kind of want to, I just wonder what their end game is with that. Because at the end of the day, if we leave Ukraine um, out there to be slaughtered on the battlefield without assistance from military equipment, financial aid, the other things that ultimately are going there then Russia will have gained a major foothold um, in Eastern Europe. Uh, They will have access to major ports, to uh, major agricultural products, um, to big parts of the world trade. They're already being propped up by China. How does that make America safer? If we allow Russia to essentially run over Ukraine um, and expand their sphere of influence, become more powerful, how is that in our long-term interest as a United States? Make no mistake about it. Vladimir Putin in Russia is our number one adversary in the world, followed very closely by China. And i only say China in second place right now because Russia is in armed conflict with a European nation that's trying to get into NATO. Um, and so anything that we can do ultimately that is pushing back against that block. In my estimation, is is the right thing for our national security, uh, and so far we're seeing results. My sincere hope, Ricky, is that we will allow this to continue, and that Ukraine can ultimately be victorious on the battlefield. And I think that we will be, frankly, the West will be in a much stronger position as a result of that. And that is probably closer than we think if we don't stop and we don't pull back now.
1: I, I listen. I told you. I told you. I can't agree with you more. That it's pay me now or pay me a whole whole lot later. Right. And uh, you know the notion of of armed conflict involving NATO, uh, we don't want to see that. That that would be something terrible. So here, you know, we I, we have to defend Ukraine. Um, Threads was supposed to be the Twitter killer, man. Everybody was oh man, Twitter's dead. Twitter's dead. And they lost half of their audience in one week. What a what a thud.
2: Huge thud. I got on threads. It took me 10 minutes to say there is absolutely nothing here that interests me or makes me want to spend my time on this. I'm a daily Twitter reader. I like the news focus. I like the politics focus. I like the issues focus on Twitter, which is now X. Um you and i've talked about it before you know elon musk is starting to kind of show us the strategy that he outlined when he first acquired twitter i mean you know the the end result or the end game was never just to have A sustained version of what Twitter has been. He's really trying to create a super app that's going to control and centralize a whole lot of commerce that goes on, a whole lot of e-commerce, a lot of discussion. Um, Look, I think he's made some missteps. Um, I think he has been far Uh, too anxious to dive into the culture wars, um, which nobody ever wins, by the way. I think that that just is a collective losing thing for everybody that's involved in it. He's kind of allowed himself to be marginalized a little bit as a result of that. But make no mistake, despite some of the politics of the day or the 24-hour news cycle, Elon Musk has a long-term plan, not only with Twitter or X, but with all of his companies. Um, And I think that if you sat down and asked Elon Musk how do you see the world 50 years from now? He sees us being an interplanetary species with an entire different type of uh, sustainable energy infrastructure on Earth um, and a a lot different types of digital commerce controlled by AI and all the things that are going to come along with that. And what he's doing right now is he's taking his, his companies and he's preparing them to be a part of that future. And so I think it's fascinating just as a watcher of history to see how this is unfolding Um, But, you know, for any worry that Elon Musk had a week ago about the fact that Twitter was going to go under because of threads, you can now put that to the side because it certainly doesn't look like that's going to happen.
1: Real quick, we got less than a minute left. I'll just say this, and we'll talk about this the next time we're together. But with the atmospheric conditions that are that are predicted for hurricane season, it's supposed to depress uh, hurricane formation. But there's some modeling that's coming out for later in August and September that don't suggest that any of that's going to happen. It could be a busy season. All it takes is one. And the heat content in the Gulf of Mexico is scary. So let's hope a, a hurricane does not get into the Gulf of Mexico, everyone should always stay prepared. Ashley, that has been a great opportunity to catch up with you, my friend.
2: Always an honor, Ricky. Thank you for having me today.
1: You bet. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.